0: Well, welcome to another episode of Mission Driven You. Today, I'm super excited to share a conversation with Vaughn Sigmund. Vaughn is a trainer, he's a leadership coach, he has a wealth of experience. And we're going to drill down, especially into the whole idea of how to build uh, sales into your entrepreneurial journey, how to deal with the creation of a sales team, how to move from The individual solopreneur, salesperson to to building a team. And I'm super excited to share that with you all. So, Vaughn, welcome.
1: Will, thank you so much for having me today. I'm really, really passionate about what we're going to talk about today, and I can't wait to share it with the audience. Excellent. Well, as, uh, as
0: listeners know, rather, the question we always start every podcast with is Can you tell us the story of somebody, when you look back on your life, you're like, yeah, that person, they made a real difference. I can't imagine being where I am without them.
1: Yeah. His name's Ted Boswell. And Ted got me, I was given to Ted. I was promoted into this new executive position. I was so wet behind the ears. It was unbelievable. (laughs) Ted, fortunately, is a very patient and caring man, but Ted took me under his wings and gave me the opportunity to to learn from him. He was a sage advisor, but he also allowed me to make mistakes, but did not punish me for those mistakes. The punishment when I made mistakes was letting Ted down, not the mistakes so much. But Ted always, and it's a, a lesson I learned and still share with others today is it's okay to make mistakes. Let's Make sure we one don't repeat them. But what did we learn from that? What did we learn from that mistake? And so he gave me a lot of a lot of the direction I follow almost fifty years later. But the the one thing that Ted said to me, and I'll I remember. You know how we get these little snapshots of memories, right? Absolutely. We can remember where we were and what we were wearing, and and even this was from the late seventies. But we were standing in front of one of my uh, one of my stores and Ted says to me, Vaughn, remember, no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business. And I still use that as my motto today because it just it's just the truth. And a lot of people just lose the sight of how important the people aspect of our, our businesses are. Excellent. Thank you
0: for sharing that. Yeah, we we often forget that we are where we are because of the people that came to us at certain points in our in our journey. And so I love that question, and I, I love the feelings. Or sometimes people sort of they're like, "Oh, I haven't thought of that person in a decade or twenty years or whatever." So, thank you for sharing that. So, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your journey. We're going to go more deeply into sales, sales leadership, entrepreneurship, and all that. But just share share with us a little bit about your journey and how you got to this place where you're sitting. We're sitting here talking today.
1: Right. Yeah, I love to talk about that. So I, I spent forty plus years as a, a field executive, primarily in retail. The last north of a decade was with Carmax, the largest yeah. retailer of used cars in the nation, and they were just and still are an, an amazing organization and. One of the things that I, I said a lot while I was there, we were in our early stages. I think we had 12 locations when I started and we were trying to figure everything out. You know, we, we had this, this business, this value proposition, but how do we execute this? And more importantly, how do we scale it? And they had hired me, you know, first of all, CarMax didn't hire anybody from the car industry. So I was qualified for that. They brought me from Kohl's department stores we really ran it more like a department store than we did a used car business. But it was all about scaling, figuring it out. How do we do this? And I've said it many times. The thing that I enjoyed the most about working for CarMax was they allowed me to be an entrepreneur. It was a very thin layer of bureaucracy there. There was me, my boss and the CEO. We made decisions quick. We, we pivoted quickly. We learned. We 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 punched. We jabbed. We moved on, but they gave me a lot of empowerment, which I just I thrived on, to be able to figure things out, put systems in place, put processes in place, utilize my ideas, but also it, it for the 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 bulk of my career there, it allowed me to live in a world that I always have felt like I'm really talented in. And that's developing people, working on careers, working on leadership, coaching people. You know, I I think I was coaching before there was ever really this whole coaching kind of concept out there. I was really working on a lot of careers because that was the fuel. That was the fuel to the scaling. You know, we we could buy all the cars, we could buy all the real estate, we could open as many buildings as we wanted to. But we had to, because of our very strict standards around who represented us, we had to put a lot of effort into the folks who represented us and, and those who led them. We went to links that no other organization I've ever come across went to to make sure we had the best leaders possible within that company. And so I was able to use my passion and my talent during the course of that, that was almost, it was almost effortless. And I I was able to launch, I think, 19 best vice presidents into their careers. It was a north of 100 people we took from an hourly role to a, a management position during that time. Very proud of all that. But that was the part that I enjoyed the most, along with the scaling, the accomplishment of all of it. But we couldn't have done it without all these great people that I became associated with. So I finally got the last boss I ever wanted. I I loved him to death, but I did not want to be in the corporate world. And I won't bore anybody with how corporations change, they go from the entrepreneur scaling stage, all of a sudden, it's running it by a checklist, and that ain't my bag, And but it was exactly what CarMax needed to do. So fortunately, they have been good enough to me, and they had an early retirement program, and I took advantage of it. And so now what do I do? Well, all the fun I'd had at launching careers and developing people at CarMax, I said, well, hell, I can turn that into a business, <laughs> but easier said than done. So I, I went about becoming a true entrepreneur and creating a business for myself. I made a lot of mistakes. I've got some some skin knees and some, some blanks in my checkbook that I wish weren't there, but that was all part of the learning tax. And very proud of what we've been able to build now and get to do every day what I love to do, which is what most entrepreneurs set out to do, you know?
0: Yeah, I love that story. I love that story. And as somebody that has owned two cars from CarMax, <laughs> I'm I'm really grateful for, for that part. I had two really positive experiences with CarMax. So I'm grateful for that as well. Well, I, I as I always
1: drink- say, Will, oh. you know, if you had a good experience, you're welcome. But if you had a bad experience, it probably happened after I left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure.
0: I, I want to drill down on something that I hadn't thought to talk about before, but I but I knew this in your story.
1: You were an entrepreneur a little bit later in life. What was that like? You know, I think it was a great time for me to do it. I really had a great education in running a business from a lot of really great employers, some not so great, but you know, but I, I was lucky enough in the 75% of my career, I was working with companies that were growing. I was able to use my skill sets. I was I was a big contributor in helping them scale, and that was pure enjoyment for me. And so that was that was an education. That was my MBA. And so when I was finally ready to go to launch a business, I, I, it was a, a lot of painful lessons. One that you know, cash flow was a huge part of it. I I, I never had to worry about cash flow as a corporate employee. <laughs> uh, and, and it also, I, I learned patience. I learned more patience than I ever think I possessed in the past because it just takes longer than internally you you believe it should. And so I, I learned to stick with the process, let the process work for me, have patience, not change too soon, don't give up too soon. And if you believe in your idea and you're fully behind it, keep Rubbing off the the sharp edges, they keep after it, keep after it, and refine it, and get better and better, and it's it's like a snowball. Once you once you get it dialed in pretty well, it pays off.
0: It builds up. And thanks for sharing that as well. There's this notion that an entrepreneur is a 22 year old kid in his you know attic writing software code and. That's certainly true as well. But which I think one? there's a lot of individuals, you, me, who are still very active in the entrepreneurial world, well into our career. So I appreciate you sharing that. That's great. So I want to talk now about entrepreneurs, because actually a lot of the people listening this, as I mentioned, we have some younger listeners, but a lot of the individuals are similar to sort of the space that maybe you and I occupy, which is 40s to 60s-ish. I'm uh, ish. Entrepreneur- but often starting on on a new entrepreneurial journey or sometimes even on their first entrepreneurial journey. And I want to just start with maybe a really basic question, which is for an entrepreneur, particularly if they're a solopreneur or somebody really starting out and still trying to figure out what their MVP is or their value in the market is, how should we be thinking about Sales, because you've done such a good, of, good job of building up sales teams and sales enablement, and now you get to to work with entrepreneurs who do that. Let's just start with the basic idea of like, what is sales? I know that seems rudimentary, but but I think it can often get lost in the entrepreneurial journey.
1: It does, and it's it's where I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle, come to a grinding halt, maybe sometimes even fail is the sales aspect of it and there is this stigma attached to sales that is is well earned from decades ago but it, in today's world it's it's not pertinent at all and it's understanding that your business has got to be formed and value propped around solving a problem solving a need and so in sales all you're all you're really doing is uncovering their needs Do they have a need or a pain that your your business or service solves? And it comes down to asking questions. You don't have to pitch a thing. Take that pressure off yourself. It's not about pitching. In fact, pitching is going to slow you down and probably bring you to a grinding halt. It's going to limit your success. It's about solving problems. The only way you understand what their problem is and how it matches with what you do is asking what I call discovery questions. You know, how long have you been in the business? What are some of your problems? How long has that been a problem? What have you done to fix that? You know, what, what have you thought about fixing? You know, you know, all these discovery questions. And as you unpack what their needs are, you in, in the back of your supercomputer could be and say, okay, I can do that, can't do that. Oh, yeah, I'm really good at that. And once you own at once and only once you're completed asking them a complete set of questions, this normally takes 45 minutes, no less than 30 if you're doing it well, then you can just fill their order because they just told you what they needed. It matches exactly, or to some degree, what you do, all you have to do is say, "Hey, I've got some ideas around this. You mind if I share those with you? I can fix this. I can fix this. I can take care of that. This is solved. How's that sound?" And the answer is yes, one hundred percent of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it takes, and, and it, it takes listening. It takes listening, and doesn't it take a service a servant's heart or a service perspective to really be able to? You're not trying to, you know swing a deal you're actually trying to solve a problem which means that you have to have that service orientation to be able to actually understand what their needs
1: are yeah and and it's it, you bring up a very important point is if you go into these interactions expecting to sell something that that's that's a limiting mindset you're there to help someone you're there to solve their problem and because you can't solve all, uh, sometimes you can't solve their problem with what you do. And when you start pitching, all you're going to do is get, well, let me get back to you. And that's not what you want to hear. Uh, that's called the polite no. But if you go in with the, the servant mindset, you said that very well, I'm here to help you out. Two great things happen. One, what I've mentioned previously is you, you you uncover what their needs are. But secondly, as you're doing that, you're removing the barrier of trust, which is the single biggest wall you run into in trying to convey your uh, your services or goods to somebody else. And if they trust you, then that that commitment they have to you is building at the same time, and the the sale becomes or the the contract becomes a fait accompli. But if I'm only thinking about it, how am I going to sell this person something, self limiting mindset. So that's something that people have to work on. They have to practice. They have to get very comfortable with it. You you just can't read a book and then then I'm going to be good. It it takes practice, takes persistence, takes a a lot of patience, but you'll eventually find how to dial that in for you. And being that servant is not only going to get you new clients, but it's going to get you clients from those clients. Yeah, sure. And then your clients become
0: your best advocates or evangelists. So I'll, I'll tell you a personal story, which is my I grew up with a father who was in sales. And so I have these memories like of being on the Jersey Turnpike, pulled over at a rest station while he's talking on the, you know, the rotary phone or the the, the button phone. But uh, it, it's funny, we were in my wife and I were in an antique store and they had one of those old. Bell Atlantic or whatever, you know, phones, and I just remember the, like a flood of memories come back. And and sales has changed. I mean, it seems like we're we're in a different time in terms of sales. What do you think is changing for the better, and what and what can still, where can we still grow in the area of sales and meeting people's needs?
1: It has changed, and certainly no it's because of the internet. And one of the big changes you have to be careful of in in uh, offering your your goods and services is don't be a human Google, right? But there's this access to information that certainly wasn't around 25, 30 years ago. They're looking for they're looking for a solution. They're looking for a provider to that solution. And then it they, they buy from you. They don't buy from your company. They're buying from you. No matter how great your website is, no pitch deck or whatever, it's its really you. And the, the art of the challenge with many people at a certain age in life is building these connections because they're used yeah. to the digital age, they're used to texting versus having conversations. That alone is where I sometimes uh, see a lot of people struggling is the ability to talk on a phone and have the proper conversation. There's a lot of nervousness that comes around that. And it's just relationship building. It's being able to interact, get to know someone that is not something societally that is as common as it used to be. That's the biggest change. And then the second part of the, the thing that has changed the most, and I'm seeing it more and more, but it really is the struggle with hanging on to what sales was in the nineteen seventies and eighties, and adopting the new approach. You know, there are so many people out there; they're still, you know, grind, 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 ten x, ten x. You know, that's all a bunch of malarkey. It's 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 about the relationship. It's it's a softer conversation. And you have to worry far less about objections and pitches and all these things. It's, again, they're going to buy from you, not from your organization. And you may, as an entrepreneur, have the greatest product and value prop in the world, but it's going to be whoever's delivering that message is going to be the difference maker. And if they're not properly trained, if they're not properly practiced at being able to do that, you're limiting your success.
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't be a human Google just for the audience, listen to that. Cause it's, there's so many tools now, Vaughn, like there's there's Apollo and there's uh, break cold and there's all these great CRMs and these great intelligence tools. You can learn everything there is to learn sort of in, uh, from data points on the internet about a person but that's not the same as learning their needs,
1: right? Yeah, that's yeah. a very human thing. And it's, it's so many people under pressure and I, and I understand that they will, without a plan, without a agenda of their own, or how they want to approach offering their, their services to someone, you suddenly have to take and maintain control of the conversation. It's not aggressive. It's just smart. It's practice. But as soon as your prospective client, customer takes control is when you become a human Google because they'll start peppering questions at you. And they're just getting information back from you, just getting information. In the meantime, you're getting nothing but being put on the ropes. And especially when it comes to the price, you know, so many people worry about their price and that is the last thing you need to be worried about. And in fact, most people find that if they take this servant approach, this consultative approach to selling, that price becomes almost a non-issue. There's an old saying in marketing, price is only an issue in the absence of value. And so it's it's maintaining control, not losing control, making it about them. You have to show empathy before you ever talk about your expertise. Do not allow them to take control of this. And I teach a lot of people how to take it back and move forward, but don't ever, don't ever talk about price until we've had enough time to find out what their problem is first. Because now you just became a commodity. Now you're a human right. Google.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, in your experience, in, in, your, in your career, in your work, you've sold very concrete things. You sold cars. And then you also sell and help other people sell sometimes less concrete things, coaching services, leadership courses, etc. What do you see as the spectrum? And how is... Selling a coaching service or selling a coaching product or an app, different than a dishwasher or a car or something concrete.
1: Well, it's uh, the first uh, The first difficulty is the tangibility of it, right? And certainly, when somebody came into a carmax store looking for a car, there was you know they could touch it, they could smell it, they could feel it, they could take it for a test drive. All those things which was making the emotional connection of them to that car, but that car was solving a problem too. For some reason, they were out looking for a car. When you have the lack of tangibility, you have to be able to create a a tangible result or tangible result in their in their mind, in their imagination, get to their emotion. You can only do that if you understand what the challenges are that they're facing. And then as you make your presentation or start talking about solutions, you also have to add in as part of your narrative what their life or what their business or what the ROI is going to be on incorporating you and your, your, your goods or services into their organization, generally your services. That was very different for me. Because I was always in the retail industry, customer came in, this is what I want, we got it for you, good price, here we go. And it, we were built to get it done now, yeah. knowing that if, as soon as they left there, that emotional connection stayed back there and that we're going to pick it back up someplace else. Same concept holds true. When you're selling your your services to someone, if you, if you properly build an emotional connection to you and how you can solve their needs, their challenges, don't hold off asking for the business. <laughs> Take it to the close. You want to avoid them thinking about it. That's not, and let me just tell you, that's not being a hard closer. A lot of people freak out when I say, no, you need to get it done now. You need to get a commitment now. Because as soon as your shadow crosses the door, that emotional connection to you, no matter how good it is, is leaving with you. And then their business starts kicking back in their day, their challenges, everything else they're facing starts getting in the way of them and this solution. And the longer the period of time that they're they're separated from that emotional solution that just left. And and the time you can get back to them, if you can even get back to them, because entrepreneurs are busy. Every business is busy today. Now I've got to fit into some cue that had I done the, the right thing when I was in front of the person, I wouldn't have to be chasing them down later. This whole concept of follow-up, follow-up, follow-up is... Once that happens, your likelihood of sale is diminished to 10, 15%, where it was 90 to 95% when you were sitting there. So when you are talking about but but that's that's all a skill set.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of skill set, I wanna I want you to sort of help an entrepreneur imagine their sales journey. So I can speak to this personally, like when you're starting your own thing, when you're when you're entrepreneuring, whatever that is.
1: Oftentimes,
0: you know, oftentimes, we are solopreneurs before we can hire other people, before we can build a team. So I want you to start. Let's imagine somebody comes to you. They've got a great idea for a product or a service, but they know they're going to have to be a solopreneur for the for the foreseeable future to start. How would you advise them and how would you advise them to begin thinking about getting the sales process going?
1: The The very first exercise we go through is a value proposition exercise. What do you do and what's the value you bring? And one of the hints is it's not customer service. Uh, that's just the cost of doing business. So it's not your level of customer service or what you can or plan to do. That's never it. What is the true value? What is, you need to be able to understand clearly and concisely how you are unique and how much power in the way of value you bring toward an organization. That's, that's, and you need to have four or five bullet points that you you know and three's good five's better no more than five that you 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 believe in are absolutely true that you can recite by heart. Now the second part and this is really where that that part I think is easy for most people. Where the hard part is and people skip this step is well what does my competition do who is my competition do they do the same thing I do if they do how's mine you unique unique I need, need to find a uniqueness because, you know, like I, I do leadership training. Well, there's a lot of people do leadership training. What's there between me and my my competitors? And there's hundreds and hundreds of them out there, if not thousands and thousands. And it, it, I had to do a lot of looking, a lot of searching, as any entrepreneur should do, to find out what they, what their holes are that you are able to fill. But they're not offering. In in my case, I realized that my competition hires trained trainers. They hire people, train them from a, a book or their course. And that's all great. And I'm sure they, they provide adequate training. I made it a point to make sure all the coaches and trainers we have in our organization are former executives, that they'd actually done it. They've lived it. They've got that first frontline experience. It came to me in a meeting one day. I said, ah. I've got it, but then once I once I understand what's unique about me, what the competition is doing, now I have to be able to message that uniqueness. How do what's my elevator pitch? What's my what's my what's my two minute presentation on this? How do I capture somebody's interest in all this? Not only from my my website, but from networking or conversations over the phone. You know, the first you know. 7 seconds of a phone call is is critical if you if you're doing that the first you know, sentence of an email is critical you've got to get that across quickly and and to the point to capture somebody's um, imagination and you're going to have to market this value proposition how are you going to do that what am i going to message and how am i going to message it and so you know in the end will it's it's building the the system the architecture to where all you really want is a meeting or a website visit. What's the funnel that's going to get me there? What are the steps, and and what what are the the stopping off points that I need to create that's going to gain interest, create engagement, to where I can have a conversation with? Them? Because once they get to you, you're the expert. You're in, they're in your hands now. So it's the it's I think the single biggest thing that is the aha moment is understanding what your competitors are doing. And under, You need to understand your competitors better than your competitors understand their competitors. You need to educate yourself because, believe me, you're not the only person they're talking
0: to. Absolutely. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I want you to reflect for a moment because I know even my myself in my own entrepreneurial journey, all I have to do is go to LinkedIn, go to Facebook, and I am deluged with everybody and their brother who wants to tell me how to do sales and I've got this framework and I've got this thing and I've got the, what's help us separate the wheat from the chaff. Like what's, what do we really Like as an entrepreneur, what do entrepreneurs really need to focus on first within themselves? We'll talk about building sales teams in a minute, but first within themselves, what do they really need to focus on and how is that different than a lot of the junk that's in the market?
1: Well, yeah, there's most of that junk can be ignored. That's you know, the only people that make money off those programs or systems or the people selling the systems. It's rarely are you going to make any money off of that. And you can you can smell that out in how they message you. I mean, we already talked about it. Are they talking about them? Or are they talking about you? Do they understand your needs? Or are they talking about them? Right there is going to separate most of the C&D and and the failures from the rest it's very rare that somebody reaches out, hey, are you are you challenged with this? Is this, you know, a lot of my clients are facing this. Is that something you're facing? That opens up the avenue to, yeah. But you have to know what the challenges are because there's common challenges and you need to understand the most common of those challenges and the most painful of those challenges or the most costly of those challenges. That becomes your messaging. But it's, it's as you are messaging others, as you are being messaged, you have to be able to craft that copyrighted. And in today's world with AI, the copywriting, which used to be very expensive is, is next to nothing these days. And if you can, if you take all these components we talked about, build that into a good messaging system. And it's, it's always has to be a multi-channel, omni-channel messaging system. And you need to identify where the fish are. Where are your clients? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Facebook? Are they on Instagram? Or are, are they email? Are they at network events? Are they at conferences? Or, uh, uh, or is it somebody I'm just going to have to cold call or knock on doors? Where are they? But I have to do all these things. I need to have a minimum of three, primarily five approaches to be able to capture the maximum amount of opportunities I could possibly have. And you need to, un- again, understanding your customer. Where do they do where do they reside? And it may be next door that uh, is a good marketing vehicle for you. it It, it may be taking out uh, ads, it may be radio, it may be podcast. it It could be a multitude of things, but you it's not what you, you want to do. It's where they are. And then you need to understand how to fully maximize the, that approach. In most companies LinkedIn is a is that's costly in business. I have to know LinkedIn because that's a great place to meet people. It's the 775 million people on LinkedIn. That's a pretty good marketplace to meet people. But knowing how to use LinkedIn's tools, which are very complex today, uh, it's very powerful. You can you can dial in your customer persona and find, you know, hundreds of them to be able to message. But then what if they're not on LinkedIn much? Well, they do read email. So how do I message them on LinkedIn and email? And do is there some form of podcast that they would listen to? Do I need to sponsor that podcast? Or hell, do I need to start my own podcast? Um, is there... Um, Certainly uh, networking for many service-based businesses, depending on what type of businesses you go to, is uh, you need to be good at networking and understanding how to properly utilize networking. But it's,
0: and then trade
1: shows, or in most cases, conferences and trade shows, that is one of the sweetest forms of finding prospective people to talk to. And it it's both networking and these trade shows similar, a little different. The The deal gets done at the bar or at lunch, not because you have sponsored the the Wi-Fi and the conference. That's not going to, it's not going to get you noticed. It's meeting somebody at a bar, carrying on a conversation with them, but I have to be ready to have that conversation. I don't need to sound like a I'm pitching something all the time, but I need to be able to break the ice, carry on a conversation, and then take my discovery methods and apply that to a bar conversation. You know, like Carnegie said back in winning friends and influencing people from 75 years ago, in order to be interesting, you need to be interested. The more interest you show in others, the more interesting you become, the more trust you build. And you need to become very good at that. Right, Will?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want you to put your sales therapist hat on for just a moment because some of the people some of the people that I coach some of the people listening to this podcast are in this variety they're often technical people who feel like they've found a solution to a real world problem whatever that problem might be but sales does not come naturally to them they want to solve a problem but they 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 can't cross over that barrier to get from here's this, here's a solution to a problem. And I I actually know people this would work for to here's the solution. I would like you to, I'd like to be able to provide this solution for you, which involves some sort of financial transaction. So how do you how do you counsel people in that uh situation?
1: So if if you're an uh, let's just say you're an introvert, you're a high C on-the-disk report. And going out and and meeting strangers is not something you're comfortable with. You need to find a salesperson and you need to find them pretty quickly. That's going to be an investment in your future business. I I would avoid hiring a, a contract salesperson. They need to be an employee. They need to be part of the organization. So don't 1099 your first salesperson. That's something you can talk about later. But hire somebody and that should be one of your first hires. Absolutely one of your first hires. But if you're someone who is willing to go out and meet people and talk to people, but you're uncomfortable with it, well, all growth comes with some level of discomfort. Uh, you know, pain creates strength. And you are it's one of those where I've just got to suck it up. I've got to go up and swallow my self-esteem. I've got to try it. I've got to be easy on myself, understand I'm not going to be perfect at it. I'll be the worst sales call you're going to make is your first sales call. By the time you get to your 10th one, well, you have missed some opportunities, likely. But by the time you get to that 10th one, you're getting more and more comfortable. But understand, don't be too hard on yourself. If you haven't made a sale in that period of time, it's not because you're a bad person has nothing it's not because you have a bad product or service it's because you are just not practice enough about communicating that yet so and it's it just becomes repetition and practice we all get better at almost everything with enough practice it's the 10,000 hour approach to things and so it's it's just putting yourself out there and getting and ploughing past the discomfort and if you're unwilling to do that you need to bring on board somebody that can do that for you. Because unless you're a master at SEO, the the customers are just not going to come to you. And SEO is more expensive than a salesperson, believe me.
0: Yeah. 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 So what would that look like for the entrepreneur? So so now we've got our fictional or avatar of an entrepreneur starting out. They've got a great idea or they're building a great product that they feel really strongly about. How would you advise them in looking for that first salesperson, which is often for a lot of entrepreneurs their first
1: hire and so let me let me dispel some some myths in sales experience is not what you're trying to hire you do not want to hire experience what you want to understand and the first exercise i put entrepreneurs through is who are you going to work well with what kind of individual what human do you like to work with because this is going to be a very symbiotic relationship the two of you have. So there you, it has to be somebody you're comfortable with. You need to hire that person before you hire their experience. And then once I have that, you need to understand the, the born-in traits that a successful salesperson has to have. It's not their experience that makes them successful. It's them. It's their competencies. It's their behaviors. It's their traits that nobody can train them. You cannot train work ethic. You cannot train competitiveness. You cannot train initiative. Those are things that either the good Lord put in us or they didn't. And nobody can train those traits into somebody. And so, okay, that sounds all great. That's who I'm looking for. How do I even know that that person has that? Well, that's where you have to learn and where you need to get some education is it's called a competency-based interview process. And you can use this the entire through the entire organization, but there needs to be a set of questions that once you determine what traits you need in an individual, that both is going to work well with you and going to be successful in the role of a salesperson, I need to be able to ask the questions that are going to uncover that. And they're all open-ended questions. Tell me about a time you, you had a, a, a fairly difficult goal what it was, and the, and, the, and the steps you took to achieve that goal. Tell me about a time that you had the most difficult customer. What made them difficult? What you did to overcome that difficulty? You know, you ask questions to get them to tell you stories. And it's from those stories that then playing back this movie of their, their experience. This is where the experience comes in. It's not what they sold and what CRM they used. It's their experience in selling, and being able to use their natural strengths to their success in selling. So it's understanding the right questions to ask. And you also, you have to understand what answers you're looking for before you ask their questions. And so it's it's having that framework, I call it a competency-based framework that transcends through the entire organization as you scale, but it's must start with the sales team. And, but it's understanding all that the single biggest mistake will single biggest mistake there's two huge mistakes this is the first one i'll talk about it, that entrepreneurs make is they hire for experience not for the person and that is where the frustration with a sales team begins because they're just doing it wrong because they don't know what they don't know and so that's 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 the most painful of all the lessons and some and most of the time frankly most entrepreneurs never work their way out of it. They're mediocre at best, or they're underperforming at levels that they that they should be overachieving in because of who's representing them. And they think they've got the right person because of all this great experience they have. It's not what's gonna get you the sales you're looking for. Yeah, that's really helpful. You
0: mentioned that there were two mistakes. What's the, what's the other one?
1: Second biggest mistake, and I make people mad with this. So I, uh, I'll put that trigger warning out there now. Second biggest mistake is once you get to the point where you need a sales manager you need somebody managing your sales team. Now, I don't want to manage the sales team anymore and I don't blame you. It. It's the hardest group of people in any organization to manage and you cannot manage them like anybody else in the organization. They are a unique set of leadership skills. But most companies make the second biggest mistake which is they promote their best salesperson to sales manager. It's a double cut, right? It's a double cut. One, I'm losing my best salesperson. And they're the best for a reason. They've got these traits, these competencies that made them the best. That's great for making them successful as sales. But those competencies rarely transfer to being a great leader because some of those competencies of being a salesperson are very self-centered. They're egotistical. They're about me beating everybody else. You put that in a sales manager... And that's that's ripe for disaster. Right. And now I can take that. I and a, a good leadership development person can take that, that newly formed sales manager that was a previous salesperson. We, we can give them the skill sets if they're willing to make the changes to work on those leadership skills. But most think that I'm just gonna promote my best salesperson and, and glory is going to follow. And it rarely ever happens. Does it happen? Sometimes, yes. Rarely does it happen. And then we scratch our heads and wonder about the sales team. Why can't we hire good salespeople? Well, it's not the salespeople that's the problem. It's who's leading the salespeople. And you've got somebody that is does not have the knowledge, skills, and tools to be able to, uh, to successfully lead a sales team through no fault of their own because nobody's ever exposed to those tools. Right.
0: Well, Vaughn Sigmund, this has been a really great conversation, very inspirational, even for me on my own entrepreneurial journey. So um, sometimes I feel like I do this podcast to share great ideas, and sometimes I feel like it's my own kind of therapy. So this has been both, and I'm super excited to share this. Somebody's listening, and they say, I want to connect to Vaughn. How do they do that?
1: Well, uh, two ways. Uh, uh, Join me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Vaughn Sigmund in the world, I think, so I'm easy to find. Or visit my website rdltraining.com. That's Romeo Delta Lima Training.com. Come check us out if you if you'd like to have a conversation. Reach out to me. I'd love I'd love to speak to you and see how I might be able to help you out. Excellent,
0: Bob, Thank you. This was a great time together. I'm so grateful for your time and to share your wisdom with my audience.
1: You're awesome, Will. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on.